Good day to our listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Strategic Dialogues. In this episode, we are going to talk about the AU summit that was held in February of this year. And I think it's important because this summit was held against the backdrop of a very uneasy lull in fighting between Ethiopian federal government forces and the Tigrayan forces. Senegal also took over from DRC as chair of the African Union and the Peace and Security Council saw a shift with election of new members, including regional heavyweights such as South Africa and Nigeria. 2022 is an important year because it also marks the 20th anniversary since the AU was officially launched in 2002 as a successor to the Organization of African Unity, the OAU. This episode reviews the 2022 African Union Summit in light of a number of pressing agenda items ranging from peace and security to economic issues. We want to take stock of wins and stumbles in the AU's 20-year history. We want to gauge what is likely to dominate the agenda, including very high-wire transitions in Chad and in Sudan, and more than a dozen elections scheduled on the calendar, and the, the interesting phenomenon of a resurgence of coup, among other issues. We'll also touch on the hot button issues. Think of the Israel, the contentious issue of Israel's observer status at the African Union. And perhaps also what is likely to remain on the back burner, or at least where we will see slow progress. For instance, where we are with the implementation of the Kagame reforms, is that still ongoing? Have we made substantial progress? Or even just whether the African continental free trade area is shaping up as the game changer it was touted to be. And to join us today, we have Karine Duplessis, who's a freelance journalist. She's also the author of Woman in the Wings, Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma and the Race for the Presidency. And I think she brings a very unique insight and unique perspectives on some of these very core issues that um, sort of are going to, to be very important on the African continent. Karine, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Faye. Yeah, and um, I, I, I think let's get right on it. So I'll start with a recap of what your sense was on during the summit. I mean, for us who are on the outside looking in, it was easy because I'm sure there was a bit of excitement about the resumption of contact meetings, um, arguably after such a long isolation period after the pandemic. But there was also, I get a sense, a lot of an interesting energy because this was the, this is Addis Ababa. This is where we know very well that there's conflict in the northern part of Ethiopia. And that seemed to be almost an unspoken uh, uh, sort of topic among um, African heads of states. So I think the first question that I have for you is, did you get a sense that there was almost a veneer of normalcy, especially in light of the war in Ethiopia? Or was there almost this subtext uh, that that underpinned um, issues surrounding the summit. What was your impression? Yeah, it was a very strange summit. Um, it was, uh, I mean, the African Union summits in terms of their beginning of the year summits, the last one was in 2020. It was about, I think it was a few weeks before the world went into lockdown. And, and I mean, I still remember that summit when we get when we got on the plane or before we got off the plane, there were officials coming through with health uh, with with what do you call those things temperature checks, uh, thermometers to check that that you know they wouldn't let a passenger off the plane if you were a little bit feverish, and 
it's quite strange how far we've come since that time. But so actually, there was only one summit that didn't happen. Uh, this year's summit was a bit touch and go because, as you said, there's a war. Um, and also because of the Omicron variant, there was, you know, this is not sort of people weren't sure where we would be in the wave and how dangerous it would be to have a summit. So in that sense, it wasn't, um, there was some kind of a attempt to have a normal summit, but uh, the COVID meant that it was always going to be a little bit abnormal. Uh, things were organized very last minute. There was a lot of uncertainty around it. And I think even embassies, you know, they, they, they got a bit frustrated because it took a long time to make a decision where, whether the summit was going to be in person or hybrid or completely online. And I think that's perhaps why there were only 13 heads of state. Uh, so it was a very low-key summit in a, in a sense that it didn't have the pomp and ceremony of the previous summits uh, or of, of the usual summit. Uh, and also, uh, you know, you would have expected some celebrations. It was the 20th anniversary of, of the African Union. Uh, so you'd have expected, I don't know, at least some kind of a banquet, which, um, I mean, there was a banquet, but and it was nice and lavish. And I think perhaps that's where the veneer of normalcy would have come in, um, was the banquet that the Prime Minister of Ethiopia gave to, to all the delegates. Uh, but in the AU headquarters itself, it it, it felt it, it was a really strange summit. <laughs> it was really kind of quiet, um, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it it was it was very strange and disjointed, uh, and I mean, even even the final session, <laughs> uh, the the big fight really was about Israel. Uh, most of the heads of state summit was about that, and the final session, which was a closed session, uh, you know, we were sitting outside waiting for it to finish, and it kind of might have gone on the whole night that Sunday night, the final evening. Uh, if it were not for for the um, the Cup of Nations, uh, the African Cup of Nations, there was a final between Senegal and oh, I forgot the other one, but Senegal won anyway. But um, so the Senegalese president, who was chairing the session, really wanted to get out there and 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 watch the match. Uh, I mean, there was even talk that he would leave the summit early to go uh, to fly um, to 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 Cameroon to go and watch the match, but um, but he stayed. So it it yeah it it was a very unusual summit um and and it 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 just didn't feel like we're back to normal but but there was an attempt to go back to normal um I mean I think even the even the covid tests there were covid tests before this before you could go into the into the venue uh, you had to go past the covid test station to do a rapid test and uh, we were all given special masks to go in there and and I think in that regard, um, I mean, perhaps that was one of the most successful aspects of the summit was that it didn't become a super spreader, that it was very COVID compliant and, and that everybody was kept very safe. Um, so I think in that sense, the AU did well. And, and I think um, I mean, perhaps we'll talk about their COVID strategy a little bit later. But um, but yeah, I, th I think um, I think that 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 was a successful aspect of the summit, but it did make it feel very unusual um, and and very kind of thinned out in a way. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I was also trying to just glint through some of the the more uh, prominent speeches. So obviously, with incoming chair of the AU president, Senegalese president Macky Sall, 
just to see what there was a lot of speculation about what would would now be the priorities for this year's agenda. There was also um, I also wanted to go through um, some of uh, the, the the Peace and Security Commission Bankoladeo's remarks to see what what um, exactly would dominate the the agenda in terms of also the peace and security um, angle. And for for like you're right in saying that for instance one of the rightfully so one of the more dominant subjects with, from the perspective of the incoming EU chair was that. There would be more priority on on the move to sort of accelerate vaccine manufacturing, so ensuring that Africa has access to more shorts. There was also he also um, t- touched a bit on the question of the uh, the need to pay closer attention to counterterrorism, particularly the spiraling threat of jihadism in the Sahel. And it's why I'm bringing this up. It's interesting because also the choice of this year's theme. This year's theme was building resilience in nutrition on the African continent, accelerating the human capital, social and economic development. So quite a mouthful there. But what struck me was in the in the aftermath of the summit, there was very interesting reactions from a lot of some of the analysts I follow. And one of them pointed a particularly salient point. He said, interesting or ironic that the theme is on food security and nutrition, but in Ethiopia itself, it's it's now um, a well um, known fact that there is danger of mass starvation facing particularly the population in Tigray because of the humanitarian blockade. So I just find it almost it, it's it's an ironic twist that the, on one hand in in Addis you're talking about food security and nutrition, but a few kilometers, a thousand kilometers up north, you have a very real risk of of mass starvation of of, of the population. Yeah, that that was. I mean, that that aspect of the summit was a very interesting one. Um, I mean, you remember, I think in November, as recently as November, December, uh, there was a real threat that Addis Ababa could fall. That the Tigrayan rebels had moved very close in on Addis, and um, I think there was at some point the Ethiopian army started using drones that they bought from Turkey, and everyone is telling me that that is what turned the war. So by the time the AU summit happened, it was at the beginning of February, um, it, it seemed to be safe to go back. And in the AU itself, it's, yeah, it's interesting how the disjointedness that it's almost like the war, um, I mean, it was mentioned, and I think um, the prime minister, Ethiopian prime minister also mentioned it, but it was kind of used for diplomacy purposes. For He basically said, um, I can't remember his exact words, but in, in he he thanked people for showing confidence in Ethiopia. You know, those who turned up uh, showed confidence in Ethiopia, showed con- confidence in um, in the I guess the the way he pushed back the rebels, um, and even the the AU itself. There was never, unlike the Western embassies, there was never a, a blanket. Um, uh, kind of a message going out to, to ambassadors to to withdraw their non-essential staff to to repatriate them. I think Zambia is the only one that I could remember that that made an overt effort to to repatriate their staff. Um, and it was always seen as you know like if you stayed, you have have confidence in Ethiopia as a host. But um, but the famine, I mean, it's a very uh, or the blockade of of the Tigrayan province. Uh, preventing um, 
food and I think supplies, medical supplies going in there. It's a very political issue and it's something that's very touchy. I know that some commentators uh, who kind of equated that to the, the famine in the 1980s, which was also, which also had political um, origins, some of some people got into trouble for doing that. So it's, it's a very touchy subject in Ethiopia and it's not something that that the, that the AU would have commented on, and even though, yeah, as you say, it's it's, it's very ironic, um, and I mean, even even now, I hear that the situation in the north is of great concern. Um, I saw Samantha Powers from USAID. Um, she was tweeting that planes are being allowed in with supplies, but no, um, and no, uh, um, you know, food, uh, what do you call it? Trucks, uh, road transport. Uh, and and the road transport is what would take enough supplies into Tigray to to ensure that the civilians are okay there. So while everybody's looking at Ukraine, I think there's still a very bad situation in the north of Ethiopia, and it's something that could be solved by politics, but that the AU um, would not openly um, they wouldn't openly criticize it. Um, I know that Obasanjo um, uh, the Nigerian former Nigerian president, he was also hard at work there, um, trying to to mediate on behalf of um, of the African Union um, Commission Chair Musa Faki Mohammed, and um, I was told that he was optimistic. Um, it was I think it was a week or two before the summit. He was optimistic that that there could be some progress, um, but I haven't recently seen any any. Um, signs of progress in in that conflict so um so yeah so that's hopefully um something that is being talked about behind the scenes if it's not being talked about overtly uh, i spoke to some ambassadors who who were quite critical behind the scenes um but it's a very complex situation <laughs> as with all wars um it's there's there's a lot of history there's a lot of um feelings involved and a lot of outside actors so um so it is it's ironic that that this year is the year of nutrition and in oh, and food food security in the AU. Yes and it's it's interesting because that also feeds into what what the the topic du jour which is the repercussions of the Ukraine war Ukraine Russia war because ultimately given the interconnectedness of not only the global economy, but also supply chains, as it turns out, it's going to be quite a challenge for households in Africa because of just the way how tightly in, it, in terms of consumer price indexing is tied to issues of um, food prices and transport costs. And households in Africa are going to be particularly hit. The, the agricultural sector is also going to be hit. And, and the nations that rely on with imports from from um, Ukraine is also they're also going to have a particularly hard time. So it's interesting in the sense that it's almost it almost foretold um, kind of challenge that we're going to be facing this 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 year in terms of of the continent and, and the kind of effects the ripple effects from from a conflict in in Europe um, as it were. But I, let's shift a bit from all the geopolitical and, and polarized talk and shift a bit more to. The more, um, I'd say, contested issues about the the EU's performance so far, or the EU's scorecard so far, even as we mark its twentieth anniversary, 
they when we take us uh, when you do a stock take of the EU's wins and stumbles, it's there's I think it's a mixed record to be fair because there's still a lot to be done. Uh, but they, there are some successes that I think we can lo- load them for. There's been um, a, a relatively strong response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So the kind of lobbying that we had for for equitable access to vaccines. There's also been um, a kind of positive move in the sense that the EU has made quite a bit of progress in regard, in regard to election monitoring missions. And also, like I mentioned earlier, the the ratification of the African Continental Free Trade and, and it getting entering into force is also one um, beginning of last year is also important. There's also been some kind of reported progress with the broader institutional reform, a la Kagame report, which when you talk about the merger of the political affairs and the peace and security, the development of an EU peace fund, for instance, and also the imposition of a 0.2% levy on eligible non-African inputs. So talk to us a bit from your perspective and for somebody who who has such um, a wealth of experience covering the continent all these years, what would your stock take look like? What would you see as the the, the achievements that need to be commended and what would you see as where there's, there's the need for much more work and much more introspection to be done? I know that's a very loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's loaded. And also, I mean, you, you're speaking to a journalist here and we do tend to get distracted by um, things that are uh, not so important, but that are, that are very, very sexy. And I mean, the big thing was the Israel thing. So we got distracted by that uh, quite a lot, but um, but yeah, as you said, that there were there, there were issues of of the reform. Uh, I think especially the um, the merger of the peace and security and the political portfolios in the AU Commission. That was a, a, a reform that was long coming. You remember that I think it was a 2016 Paul Kagame. I remember he had a um, he launched his uh, sort of bid for AU reforms quite. You know, he's, he's very eloquent and he made a very eloquent but short speech about why the AU needs to reform. And, and he's been leading this process. And there's been mixed success. Um, the idea of merging, for instance, the political and the peace and security apparatus was that a lot of conflicts have political, um, uh, have a political origin. So, uh, so if you can solve the politics, then you know you, you can hopefully solve the conflict and perhaps solve it altogether. You know, in conjunction, look at poli- both the politics and the and the conflict to, to solve it. Um, and it's it's had mixed success. Uh, I had some people telling me that um, I think it was, it's the first year that the commissioner, um, or it's the first first summit that I can remember where the commissioner had th- this joint role. I think. And the new commissioner took over last year, and and some people say it's such a big portfolio that the commissioner wasn't able to do everything, and um, in particularly the Mozambique uh, conflict, it was the first time that the Peace and Security Council discussed it. Uh, I think it was um, in January, and I spoke to Minister Naledi Fund or South African um, Foreign Relations Minister, and. She said to me, they've been trying to bring it under the attention of the Peace and Security Council, because as you know, the conflict broke out in 2017. 
the SADC uh, intervention mission uh, took uh, kicked in in July last, I think it's June or July last year, and the Rwandan Defence Force also got involved in in trying to to help against the insurgents there. So so that it's been there's been efforts, but it was the first time that the PSC discussed it this year, and and it was basically because of this whole transition um, of because of the reform, because of the new commissioner, that the AU hasn't really been able to give much thought or attention to it. Uh, when they did discuss it, I think they did a good job of it. Um, they looked at the funding, you know, where they could help with the funding, with the resources and so on. So I think it would be interesting to see where, where that goes, where that portfolio goes, and if it, if it is any, any more successful than in the past. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the continent has to deal with a lot of challenges, such as a series of coups that happened it seemed like like everything happened during lockdown. Uh, the whole world went crazy. Um, but these, uh, it was in, um, I think Mali had two coups. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head now. Um, there's, there's been issues in Sudan that, that, that have been unresolved. And, and I mean, a lot of these have political consequences, uh, political um, origins and perhaps also political solutions. So... So in that sense, uh, perhaps maybe this year the AU will, will look at that and it would be a test for the AU as to whether they can, can successfully um, intervene and, and get the countries back on course and you know, get Sudan to have elections and Mali to have elections. Uh, there's big, big issues there. So, so that, that has had mixed success. I was very surprised not to see Paul Kagame actually come to the summit uh, this year because he really likes to come and make, you know, especially in, with regards to his reforms, he likes to come and push it and, and make a speech. Uh, and I think he made a speech virtually via video link this year uh, to the closed summit. So, so we didn't see any of him. Um, and I also know that some there's been some hostility about his reforms. Some of the bigger countries are saying, oh, you know, Rwanda's coming, throwing their weight around in, in the AU. And I think that's perhaps one of the reasons why some of the reforms have not been taken up uh, with um, with so much enthusiasm, or why some of it's been, you know, I think like the reform of the commission, it's taken a while to to effect. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think the the peace and security one would be the one that 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 we watch. There's been also talk about reforms with regards to funding the AU. Uh, with regards to uh, a special levy for, for goods coming into into the continent. Uh, I'm not sure where that is, actually. I didn't hear anything about it at the recent summit. Um, so, so I'm not sure how far they are in terms of uh, solving the funding issues. I think this money is always an issue. Um, but another success, another very clear success, was the African Continental Free Trade Agreement uh, actually getting the headquarters up and going in, in Ghana and Accra, getting a, a secretary who is from South Africa, Wamkele Mene, um, and ratifying it and getting all the countries on board. But I think the implementation is going to be a very interesting process and um, a lot of businesses will be watching it very keenly. Uh, because there are issues with border crossings, um, with documentation, with uh, IT at borders. Um, so I think those issues would have to be would have to be looked at in conjunction with um, with the implementation of the Continental Free Trade Agreement. But 
one of the things incidentally that made me think that it is uh, a thing also for for actors outside of the continent was that somebody mentioned to me that the European Union wanted a special dispensation under the the free free trade agreement perhaps a favorable in for their products into the continent uh but one ambassador said to me we just told them no this is for the continent alone um nobody else not even well apparently not even the chinese will get a special dispensation um so yeah so i mean i think people are looking at it with a lot of hope with a lot that that it would be something useful um so let's hope that that the implementation uh, goes right as well and in terms of election oh. monitoring missions um I, i think that um i mean it is also again under lockdown there's not been a lot of physical elections a lot of uh, election missions have been cut down in terms of staff uh, because of fears covid fears because of funding issues but zambia is perhaps an example of of a success uh where both the african union and sadc intervened um I went to the elections in Zambia and there were some tense moments when it became clear that it was quite a landslide in favor of uh, uh the current president um Hichilema um and some of the uh senior former presidents some of them who have been who've sort of witnessed uh, changes of regimes in their own country they had to go and, and talk to talk to president Edgar Lungu at the time and convince him to to step down peacefully and not to pick up a fight. So so there was a bit of success there but um but I think the the amount of coups that we're seeing perhaps show that that um elections the the AU might have to be a little bit more rigorous in terms of election monitoring and and making sure that people are happy with the outcome. Thanks uh Karin um I mean it's fascinating to get your birds eye view um from 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 the summit itself and and just picking up on some of the nuances in terms of um what was the vibe like uh, at the summit but also the issues and you know to follow up on what Faith was talking about um with regard to challenges I'm equally curious from my end was because the a the African Continental Free Trade Agreement is such a big momentous uh occasion if if that's the right word to use but in terms of africa's interregional trade i mean you know th- these are really big issues um with regard to how external actors will be relating to this but one of the things before i want to get to um your your birds eye view at the um eu africa summit and just having a bit of a comparison is just you know what were some of the Uh, uh discussions that took place around for example COP27 being hosted in Egypt but also the the challenges that the continent faces with regard to uh climate change not just around uh the question of the impact on human security because that was more or less the theme of the summit you know building resilience in nutrition on the african continent accelerating human capital social and economic development but just looking at the environment and how the environment acts as a very uh, impo- uh a, a disruptor to it but a, a disruptor in the way that uh the continent can actually not only look for how financing to climate change can happen but adaptation strategies as well so just maybe a few 
uh, your impressions on on that discussion at the summit. Yeah, I must admit, uh, there was a session where um, President Cyril Ramaphosa, where he was addressing, um, it's got a long name, the Committee of African Heads of State and Government on Climate Change. Uh, and he was addressing this uh, session virtually, and it was it was kind of streamed, and it was a bit of a Apache stream that came in. Um, and I, I was in other meetings at the time, so I didn't actually even follow those discussions very closely. Uh, but... The impression I got from people I spoke to around um, the discussions that did take place is that, um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much, they weren't incredibly impressed with, with the discussions and with the, uh, you know, with the place that the discussions enjoyed um, in, in the African Union Summit. So um, I'm afraid I didn't get much of, of the nuances or, or the advances that, that were made in the summit on this, on this topic. But you know, but it's, it's obviously something that that the AU will have to look at quite carefully, and and it was something that came up at the AU EU summit as well um, a few weeks later. Although I kind of get the impression that within the AU, people think that this is really, uh, you know, they're kind of going through the motions because this is something that that the partners, part you know, external partners such as the EU want them to do. So I'm not always sure how how serious um, the leaders are when they talk about the green trans when you know when they talk about green transitions and when they talk about climate change. So um, yeah, so I think that that's unfortunately about as far as my um, my impressions went of of that that aspect of the of the summit. Thanks a lot. I mean, I think you you've touched on some key issues there because you know at the end of the day. Um, it's going to be key for how the AU addresses this as not just something as an addendum to an agenda, but rather mainstreaming the impacts that uh, climate change has for uh, human security and all of the other issues, even when you talk about stability, peace, development, and so forth. Uh, if you can just yeah, shift track I mean, a little um, bit now. Yeah, sorry, go for it. Yeah, I know. I just, I just also want to add, um, looking, I mean, looking at climate change a month ago and looking at it now, <laughs> as well with with the war, um, you know, in in the Ukraine, you kind of also wonder how how high is this issue going to be on the agenda, on the world agenda when we have interruptions in in energy supply uh, chains and um, you know when people will sort of have to make do just to survive. So. So I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be interesting to see where the climate change debate goes from here. And, and especially, I mean, a war has uh, very devastating consequences for the environment. And, and then we're not even talking about a nuclear war. So, so I was kind of thinking it's, you know, it, it would be really, it's, it's kind of sad that um, I, I suspect this, this, these discussions might be very much derailed, um, at least in the next few months. Uh, when you look at, at where the war's going. Absolutely. I think you, you can't ignore the the impacts of what's happening in Europe on, on Africa. And it just brings it, I mean, it's a nice sedge way into the points that you raised around uh, what you saw or what was your impressions of the discussion at the EU-AU summit, um, just in terms of whether some of the points that you raised with faith, you know, how they were, expanded on at the at the EU AU summit again just asking for 
your impressions uh, of, of that summit and the relationship between the EU and the AU? Yeah, I think the summit, it was interesting that, I mean, my, my, my overarching big impression of the summit was that the AU was speaking and the EU was speaking and somehow their talk didn't meet in the middle. The, both sides were speaking um, past each other. I mean, I think the EU very much has this, uh, uh, what do you call it, has this priority of, of uh, green transition, climate change, Whereas in the AU, a, a lot of leaders sort of feel, well, climate, you know, we, we didn't contribute the most in Africa towards messing up the environment, and we just want to develop now. So infrastructure is very important to us. And um, I, I was told that infrastructure wasn't originally on the list of issues that were list of outcomes for the summit. So, um, so in that sense, uh, I kind of feel it was a very strange there were some strange sort of compromises on what was discussed, and um, and it would be interesting to see how far it will go towards you know getting implemented. Because I get the impression that the African leaders, and there were a lot of African leaders at the AUEU summit, forty three came to Brussels, and a lot of them just were there to see how much money the EU would invest in in Africa, and I think one hundred and fifty billion euros was promised as, you know, we invest a mixture of investment loans. Um, but yeah, there's also not, not a lot of clarity on that. And um, in return, I think the EU was very much, they still, well, I, I think those, those might have changed now, but they were still very concerned about immigration from Africa, skilling people in, you know, education and, and migration were, were mentioned in, in one line, skilling people in their own countries in Africa so that they stay there and make a difference and that they don't, you know, see reasons to come to Europe. So that, so that, that was an issue. I think also one of the big overarching themes was that the EU is competing. It, it, it sees um, itself as a competitor against China and other interests in Africa. And I got the feeling, I mean, many EU officials also said this, that, that they, you know, they see China as a competitor and they want to, to make a better offer to Africa than China. Um, and, um, I mean, that doesn't sort of preclude working hand in hand with China, but, but they want to kind of keep um, African countries on side. And, and I think it was interesting, I mean, it wasn't an issue then, but it recently became an issue, this vote at the, at the United Nations. Uh, it, it just showed how perhaps, I mean, I think the EU might have seen it as a bit of a failure to keep all those African countries on side because, I mean, 28 out of the 55 AU members, well, um, Western Sahara didn't vote in the end, but 28 out of the 54 countries um, from Africa that, that's in, in the UN General Assembly, um, only 28 supported the, the resolution on Russia's aggression in the Ukraine, which kind of said to me that maybe 28 is on side with the EU, because um, the EU would have lobbied that position, um, but there's still a lot of countries that, that were not. So, so I think that within the EU was seen as a kind of a failure um, you know, a sort of negative outcome for them.
Uh, another thing that was a big issue at the summit was vaccines, vaccine manufacturing. Um, President Cyril Ramaphosa, he's the AU's champion on COVID-19. He was campaigning for an IP waiver. Uh, it's, it's been an issue that's been discussed at the World Trade Organization. Um, some European countries, I think amongst others, Germany will not budge uh, because there are companies inside Germany that are concerned that if uh, intellectual property rights on some vaccines are waived, that they would lose money, um, their shares would become worthless. So, so yeah, so, so countries like Germany don't want to budge. And I think in the place of that, the EU was offering, they were launching uh, um, what they called uh, transfer hubs, technology transfer hubs. Uh, and they launched six, I think six countries were launched there as um, as transfer hubs in Africa. Or there will be transfer hubs in six countries in Africa, and it was launched there at the EU summit. And um, yeah, so, so that was kind of seen as the compromise, but I still think that uh, Ramaphosa spoke out quite harshly about this IP waiver and, and saying, well, we, we also want um, the power in Africa to determine our own fate when it comes to vaccines, when it comes to the manufacture of vaccines. Um, and this won't be, you know, this won't last forever. This will just be for COVID for a limited time period. Um, but the EU wasn't budging. And, and that was also an issue that I kind of felt both sides were speaking past each other on that. Um, and I mean, obviously, this issue will have to go back to the World Trade Organization. It will have to be negotiated there. So, so there's no outcome on that as yet, but um, but I'm not sure that, that that any progress was made during the the EU summit on on the lobbying in that regard either. Yeah, it's interesting that you say Thanks. that, um, um, Karen, uh, because it seems then we are sort of locked in into this geopolitical um, rivalry, um, and and it's it's almost as if a lot of the attention that we've seen. Um, being being uh, paid to the continent is is looked at through that geopolitical prism, and it begs the question about amidst all the growing attention by external actors. I mean, we have this kind of format where it's Africa plus one summit, and and now you have this pledge by the 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 EU, the EU's global gateway, being seen as a counter to China's BRI on the continent. You have the G7, the the uh, building back better also. That's that's being uh, poised as a counter to to Chinese imprint on the continent. So it's it's a very interesting geopolitical sort of um, game that we are playing in terms of of the the actors on the continent. But it raises the question about we what are we doing as Africans on our side in terms of nurturing our own agency, and not necessarily I wouldn't say playing one partner um, against the other, but being able to leverage. The attention on us being being able to leverage our comparative advantage and getting um, our priorities and needs met um, within that that um, added attention um, on us and the kind of advantage uh, advantageous position that the continent finds itself from that from that regard. So it's one the question of of um, agency, but also I'd begin on hearing what what you think we should also keep an eye on. I mean, I made a note here that it's interesting when you look at all the summits that we need to keep an eye on. So um, we, are, we are doing this recording, obviously, um, in retrospective of the, 
the, the AU summit and the EU AU summit. But interestingly, also is the upcoming Saudi Arabia Africa summit that's going to happen. And I know the there was a planned. Um, Russia-Africa summit that was supposed to be in, I think, October or November of this year, but obviously for, for obvious reasons that might not happen. So just talk to us a bit about the African agency situation, the choice of strategic partners for Africa, and, and just the kind of maneuvering room that Africa needs to shape for itself. Yeah, no, that, that's um, strategic maneuvering. Um, that, it was a question I kept on asking at the EU as well, um, going to African ambassadors, going to to players, to people who are watching the summit, saying, well, what what is it that we came, we as Africans came to the table with? The EU is saying, well, we've got 150 billion euros for the next, um, I can't remember how many years, three years or something, uh, that, that we'll leverage for Africa. But I'm not sure what Africa came to the table with, uh, other than saying, well, you know, here we are. Um, we, we won't we won't migrate you know we'll make sure our citizens don't migrate to Europe um, uh, you know it, it's, it's not like there was a, a specific offering that that I saw from from Africa side and I think that that to me is missing I mean I think the leaders realize that that they um, you know they don't don't have to be faithful to one partner they don't have to be faithful to China or to Russia or to to Europe or to the US or um, or to, to um, Saudi Arabia or to Turkey, uh, they can play countries off against each other to to get the best deal. But I think what really is missing for me is what what are we coming to the table with? Uh, what, what do we have to offer um, other countries in return? So so that's I mean, and the summits are always it's always an interesting way um, of of gauging where we are. The Russia summit. It's going to be really interesting to see if it does happen. Um, I, I've spoken to people who believe that that they can. People in Russia who believe that they can make it happen. Um, so, so that that's going to be really interesting uh, to see how many uh, countries in in Africa, how many leaders go to that summit. It's supposed to be in Saint Petersburg. It was originally supposed to be in Ethiopia and Addis, and then there was some spat, and then it was moved to Saint Petersburg. So. It would be interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure, if, you know, if it is in St. Petersburg, if people will be able to get there. How do you pay for hotel rooms if there's, if there's still sanctions in place? Um, um, you know, where will the war be at that point? Um, and then if it's in Addis, you know, I think there, there will be the same same questions. Uh, you know, will, will Russians be allowed to travel? Uh, Russian leaders? And what will the sanctions be looking like? So, yeah, so I think there's some questions as to whether it will happen we might even see it happen virtually, you know, like in, in a COVID lockdown situation, which which could also be interesting. I mean, at the last summit in Sochi, um, I think it was in, I can't remember how many years ago, if it was 2019 or 2018, uh, there were pictures of, of um, a lot of leaders posing with, you know, with the weapons, with the guns. Um, it was very war-orientated, very military-orientated. Um, you know, a lot of hardware on sale. So, um, so it would be interesting to see uh, if if the summit happens and and how it will happen. The Saudi Arabia summit. I must admit, I did not know that there is such a summit until you made me aware of it. Um, and um, and I think that that's another exa- interesting example of um, the fact that Africa is in demand and that people want to do business with Africa and that they see opportunity in the continent. 
and and I think we as Africans should realize that um, we must put together an offering that 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 will be attractive and that will uh, assert our agency as well and that so that we can get what we want and not not just have people walk all over us. If I may say some of the points that are raised, I mean, I think it's very interesting right now how speculative we may be thinking, depending on what the situation looks like um, in the global system, but also where Africa is within that global architecture. And And one of the things that was so interesting that you mentioned around um, what you and Faith mentioned around African partnerships or external relations is precisely how the current crisis around Ukraine and, and, and the sanctions in particular will impact Africa, not necessarily just from you know looking at it from a geopolitical um, impact, but also in terms of the geoeconomic and the other strategic considerations when it comes to the commercial aspects of trade and and so forth, and to this current, I think I may I may be putting you on the spot here, but I think I just want we, we probably would like, like to just get your your sense of of how these these issues will become critical uh, for the AU in July, you know. So we're doing a kind of stock take of of what the AU looked at in the su- summit that took place in January or end of January February. And just what, you know, a kind of midterm review would be like, where where the AU is. And the one point that struck me, and maybe a very small one, but if I got, if I, if I heard you correctly, you said 13 African heads of state went to the AU summit in Addis Ababa, and about then 43 heads of state went to Europe. I mean, that's fascinating in terms of um, the the impression or the optics that creates as well. So just a bit of a, a kind of forecast of you know some of the some of the issues that you saw in 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 Addis, um, you picked up in Brussels, and of course going forward to the the, the midterm kind of summit for the AU. Thanks. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned about the optics uh, in in Brussels and in in, in Addis. If I can comment on that quickly, uh, it's because I think I mean not as many heads of state from Europe were there. Uh, I mean the German Chancellor was there, Olaf Scholz. Um, the I think President Macron made a quick visit there as well because I mean uh, he's he's the oh he attended the whole summit. Uh, he's the uh, President of the EU, or I forget what the exact title is, but France has the presidency of the European. Uh, I think is it the Commission for for the for for the six months. So so he played quite a big role there as well. But other than that, it it was really a summit of forty three African heads of states coming to to Brussels, and there was no, there was a little bit more certainty around the Brussels summit. It, there wasn't this obviously not a well, there wasn't a war in in Europe at the time. Um, but the COVID situation also made it a little bit uncertain. So, so yeah, it, it kind of showed, back, you know, if people vote, if leaders vote with their feet, uh, it kind of shows what, what they regarded as important. Um, but casting forward to, to a mid-year summit, I, I kind of feel like I did at the start of the COVID-19 lockdown when we realized we might be in lockdown for longer than three weeks. Uh, 
it's you know like whatever you say is going to happen tomorrow might change in a week's time so uh but i definitely think this the the war um the the russia ukraine thing uh, where leaders side in this whole russia ukraine thing i think that that will come up and and also how africa can sort of align its businesses uh, its exports i mean i think russia I already here talk that russia might want to look to african companies uh, in a as a way to to get past the sanctions imposed by the west uh, because you know there's some agreements between african countries and russia for exports and imports uh, that might not be affected by the sanctions i'm still not sure if anybody is sure how how that will work but uh, but trade between russia and and uh, many african countries it's it's not as big as trade between the european union and many african countries I mean, I'm thinking of South Africa, of which I know a lot more of, obviously. Uh, I mean, the Russian trade is, is um, I think it's, it's a billion, is it a billion rand both ways or something like that. So, so it's not, it's not massive, but, um, but, but that, um, that would be interesting to see if, you know, if, if Russia reorientates its trade and its, its business towards Africa, how it will be done and, and <laughs> How, how how we'll pay for it, um, you know, how they will pay for it and how we will pay for it because uh, the ruble is worthless at the moment. Um, so, so yeah, so I think the, the AU summit will be a stock take of that. There's, of course, the situation in uh, situations in Africa, the coups that are happening, that, that's an ongoing crisis. And terrorism is becoming a, a bigger and bigger worry as well. I mean, especially West Africa, and, and I think Maki Salas, the AU chair, uh, he's particularly preoccupied with that um, as a domestic issue for himself. I think he's facing a an election. I'm not sure if it's this year or next year, but um, but he's he's facing an election that's coming up. So so locally, uh, domestically, he he's concerned with that, but also attacks in in West Africa. It's spreading in the Sahel. France is withdrawing Russia. Wagner was involved there, um, or, or you know, Mali wanted Russia to become more involved there. So, um, so I think those issues, security issues, will probably um, feature very high on the agenda. Uh, the Mozambique uh, insurgency might also uh, feature more and more um, because there's talk that that it might spread or that it, it will not go away as quickly as we thought. Um, so so yeah so i think i think crises will will be behind the agenda and also uh, funding peace missions funding the intervention force the au peace fund for instance um i think they were waiting to to get enough money to operationalize it but um but i think there was a decision that um that that you know the peace fund should be should they should uh, you know the au should start applying the peace fund um so so yeah so i think there's there's um issues like that and then the food security issue as we mentioned earlier i think by july we might um we might see the effects of it kicking in high prices for food fuel uh that leads to civil discontent um i started to think what will happen if we don't address it and if if um if these things spiral out of control i think we're in for quite a rough ride Thank you so much, um, Karen. I think as a final point, uh, maybe we, we it would be good to just get a sense of, uh, and here I want to go back to what was, as you rightfully said, the elephant in the room, which was the issue of Israel's observer status 
and how that divided the room. You had very um, vociferous supporters on both sides of the debate. So you have one camp where South Africa and Algeria were against it, and you have another camp in the likes of Rwanda and DRC who um, sort of championed the, the, the Israeli cause. So talk to us a, a bit in conclusion about um, what you garnered from that very divisive topic. And lastly, also, um, just to wrap up also, um, talk to us about what you're keeping a watching brief on um, in, in the coming months or coming weeks. Um, I know everybody, the, the media attention is all around the Ukraine issue and the potential repercussions, global um, repercussions at that. But I'm sure there, there's a couple of other issues that you'd want to um, sort of bring our attention on. So talk to us about that in conclusion. Yeah, well, the Israel issue, I think that that was the, the big issue of the summit or the, the, the burning issue of the summit and um, that, you know, it, it had everyone talking afterwards and, and I think most of my stories were, were about that issue. Uh, and it's ironic that it's not even something that's on the African continent. People, uh, you know, the countries were fighting about um, a country a country that's, that's not on the continent but that wants to be accredited to attend AU summits. Uh, but but one ambassador said to me, this is an issue that goes to the AU Constitutive Act. It goes to the core of what we are as the AU and what values we hold. Um, and, I mean, you know, obviously that ambassador didn't want to see Israel on um, as an observer at the AU. But um, the, there's a committee that will take this forward. And, yeah, I mean, I didn't mention this as an issue that will come up in six months' time, but um, I think definitely... It will be discussed. I'm not sure if they will vote on it uh, at the mid-year summit or if they will wait for the uh, next year summit to, to make a decision on that or to, to vote on that. This committee was basically a deferral of that decision because it was so divisive. Um, and also because if there was a vote on it, most countries would vote in favor of Israel being granted observer status. But a lot of these countries are smaller countries. Uh, and some of the bigger countries, like I think South Africa, Nigeria, Algeria, are objecting to Israel uh, being granted observer status. And there's even talk about them withdrawing their funding of the AU if uh, if things don't go their way. So this is this is an issue that could really split the AU in half, and that could could really you know break it up and put it through a, a really rough seas in a time when. Africa, when the African continent needs good governance, needs guidance, needs peacekeeping. So, so yeah, so I think it's, it seems like a kind of a marginal issue that's not on the agenda, but it's something that could, uh, you know, that, that could, I think, ham, hamstring, what do you call it, hamstring the, or, um, the work of the, of the AU. So, um, so, so that I think is, 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 is an issue that will, will watch closely. I mean, I know that there's some Palestinian um, activists that are gathering uh, in Dakar at the moment uh, to, to talk about a course of action. So so that, and then there's a bunch of elections coming up that, that could prove to be very interesting as well. Kenyan elections, uh, I've followed that um, sort of, you know, with, with the one ear, and it seems that the president... Uhuru Kenyatta, whose term is up, it seems like he he has finally made friends with Raila Odinga, the opposition, uh, you know, from from the opposition, and he's it's he, Odinga has been his opponent, and 
ran in numerous elections against him. And um, yeah, so, so it, it, I think the Kenyan elections will be interesting. William Ruto is the deputy president. He's also making a connected. Anyway, so yeah, so, so I was speaking about the Kenyan elections that are coming up. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Kenya choosing a new president. In the past, they've had very violent uh, aftermaths in, in some of their previous elections. So um, I think many eyes will be on Kenya. Um, and I'm trying to think of what other... My, my mind has been so clouded by the war. Um, I mean, South Africa itself is, is having a, a, an election, a kind of a presidential election with the ANC coming up and Sol Ramaphosa is, is fancying himself to be an African leader. He wants to be seen as an African leader. So I think we can see a lot more of his COVID diplomacy. And I mean, speaking speaking of COVID, it, it suddenly doesn't seem so important compared to the to the war in Europe. But um, but I think it will be interesting to see where we go with the pandemic. With most of Africa still unvaccinated, uh, you know, very few people in Africa have been vaccinated. So if there's a a bad strain of the pandemic that breaks out again, uh, it will be interesting to see how how this is dealt with on the continent. Uh, there's a number of wars going on. Ethiopia, I think we're all watching how, you know, whether there would be a resolution for the standoff in the Tigray province. Um, and I think sometimes we, lo we lose focus. Um, millions, I think 2.5 million people have been displaced in that war, uh, which, is, which is a massive, uh, massive amount of people. So, so we'll be watching Ethiopia, Mozambique, um, the, uh, the Sudan, there's, there's some, I think, protests going on there again, violence, people getting killed in protests. Uh, so we'll see if Sudan will, um, will manage to get to an election or if they will be, you know, how the military will, will, um, will play that one out. Um, I'm trying to think of what other issues there are. Uh, there are so many. I think Mali, um, Mali standoff with France. Uh, there, there's been some really bad blood there with um, France. You know, in the Sahel, the French forces withdrawing. Uh, Macron himself is is facing a um, an election in April, uh, and and Africa was one of the issues for him. Uh, I'm told it's uh, the the war in Ukraine could be a bigger issue now, and it could favor an incumbent. So. So I think perhaps uh, he he's kind of breathing, heaving a sigh of relief. Um, so so yeah, so I think there's and then the Franco-African relationship. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well uh, in the in the coming year. Yeah, thank you so much, um, kind for allowing us to pick your brain on some of this very complex issues. I want to also thank our listeners for tuning in on this episode, and we encourage you to leave us a review and share um, strategic dialogues wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, and we look forward to joining you next time.